This is episode 12 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, November 30th, 2021. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the angry programmer with a mic, Brian Bemrose. I got heat last week for, of all things, injecting my opinion into a news story. Someone actually accused me of not acting like a journalist. I was told that my primary goal here is not to inform you, but rather to use technology news stories as a transparent vehicle to lecture you with my opinions and point of view. But that's not correct at all. My primary goal here is to make money through your donations. Giving my opinions is how I do it. Informing you about tech news stories just happens to be a side effect of that process. And newsflash, this is precisely what everyone else who calls themselves a journalist is doing today. They're usually just not very honest about it. You want honesty? I pledge you that always. You want sterile, unbiased news devoid of any opinion? Yeah, good luck. That kind of reporting disappeared with Edward Murrow. On with the news. From the confirmation bias you want, but not the confirmation bias you need department. Microsoft released Windows 11 almost two months ago as a free upgrade to Windows 10. But according to reporting from TechRadar.com, just 0.21% of PCs have upgraded. TechRadar cites a recent investigation from IT management firm Landsweeper, who they say used data from more than 10 million Windows devices running on business and home networks. According to the report, Windows 11 is the fifth most popular Windows OS, behind Windows 8 with 1%, Windows XP with 3.6%, and they cite the TPM requirement as the reason people are holding back. All that said, I almost didn't bring this story because I was unable to find any original sources to back it up. The Tech Radar article didn't link to the study being cited. The Tech Radar reporter, a self-described tech enthusiast, merely says, according to new research from the IT asset management firm Landsweeper, and a domain search of Landsweeper.com did not turn up any such research. I was able to find almost a dozen tech news sites giving their own spin on this her dirt nobody wants Windows 11 story while linking back to Tech Radar as their source. As an aside, I was able to find an ad duplex survey from November of 2021 complete with actual data putting Windows 11 at an 8.6 market share, which seems to me like a much more reasonable number than the less than 1%. Ultimately, I was forced to turn this segment from the Microsoft sucks rant that I expected into a much more nuanced, don't believe everything you read in a sensationalist tech blog story that probably won't play as well to the audience of a sarcastic tech news and opinion show. But to be clear, TechRadar may actually be telling the truth here. I'm not sure. There might be research from Landsweeper that shows exactly what they said. By not linking original sources, TechRadar is failing at journalism, though. They are publishing a very convincing, sensationalist opinion blog, which is probably great for clicks. Hey, it got me a connoisseur of tech pulp stories to click, but could ultimately damage your reputation when one of these stories turns out to be total bullshit manufactured for clicks. There is one thing the article did get right when they pointed out the risk of running operating systems that are past Microsoft's end-of-life dates. Windows suffers from security vulnerabilities, to put it mildly, 
And new security bugs like the next story I'm going to cover, spoiler alert, seem to be coming out every month. As of this episode, Microsoft only officially supports the following client operating systems. Windows 11, Windows 10 20H2, Windows 10 21H1 and 21H2, and Windows 8.1 for one more year. Windows 10 version 2004 is technically still supported as well, but its end of life date is December 14th, which is about two weeks away, so I don't count it. And finally, while I've got the Windows lifecycle table in front of me, the most interesting thing I see is that the very last version of Windows 10 goes out of support in June of 2023, a mere 19 months from now, leaving Windows 11 as the only Microsoft-supported operating system from then on. I wonder what people are going to do with all of those TPM-less machines once they can no longer run Windows. Perhaps 2023 will finally be the year of Linux on the desktop. From the yes, yes, without the oops department, Microsoft released details last week of an elevation of privilege vulnerability in the Windows installer that affects all versions of the operating system. The vulnerability, CVE 2021-41379, was supposedly fixed as part of November's Reboot Tuesday, but the patch the company released didn't actually fix the bug. The vulnerability enables an MSI file to gain system privileges, allowing a malicious installer to delete or overwrite system files or to exfiltrate sensitive user data. All the user has to do is run the malicious MSI file. Malware exploding the, exploiting this vulnerability has already been found in the wild. Practically speaking, this makes me think the impact isn't that great. By making the default installation directory not writable by a standard user, Microsoft has already trained the ecosystem such that every MSI installer demands administrator rights or it won't run. And every user knows that they just have to click through the scary security dialogue or they won't get the dancing monkeys on the screen. If you think about it, every installer file is already exploiting an elevation of privilege in the Windows installer just so that it can write to the program files directory. I digress. There is also a second vulnerability in the Windows installer. This second bug, CVE 2021-24084, allows a malicious installer to gain system privileges. It impacts all versions of the OS and was supposedly patched on November 9th as part of the monthly Reboot Tuesday, but security researchers disclosed yesterday that the bug was not fixed correctly and is currently being exploited in the wild. Stop me if any of this sounds familiar which prompts me and many other Microsoft watchers to wonder exactly what the hell the company is doing behind closed doors. And if perhaps they could take some time out of their busy schedule of being woke and announcing their genders at tech conferences to actually test a bug fix once in a while before release. Recall that Microsoft famously fired most of their Windows testers in 2014, shortly after current CEO Satya Nadella took over and right before Windows 10 was released, leaving you, the end user, as the primary means of testing all new software. So in retrospect, I guess that's working as intended. In a move that I'm sure is completely unrelated to the performance of his company, Nadella sold 50% of his stock in Microsoft for more than $285 million today, according to a regulatory filing. From the old-fashioned corporate greed department, Amazon has announced that they will stop accepting Visa credit cards for payment in the United Kingdom, citing high transaction fees, especially the interchange fees for cross-border transactions between the UK and the European Union. 
Visa cards will continue working for purchases through the holiday season, but will stop working on January 19th. According to an Amazon spokesperson, the cost of accepting credit card payments continues to be an obstacle for businesses striving to provide the best prices for customers. These costs should be going down over time with technological advancements, but instead they continue to stay high or even rise. Amazon customers who have a Visa card as their primary or only form of payment will be given £10 or 20 for Prime subscribers. By the way, for you Americans, pounds are their UK dollar to whatever. To switch to an alternate non-Visa form of payment. Both Visa and Amazon have released statements explaining how disappointed they are and how all of this could have been avoided had the other side just been more reasonable. I don't have too much of a say on this story. In general, I despise entrenched middlemen whose business model relies more on the elimination of competition than on providing value to customers. But I leave it up to the listener to guess which company or both that I'm talking about. This is yet another example of a corporate spat spilling over onto customers. It's unfortunate that they couldn't work things out, but this is, in fact, an example of capitalism working correctly and represents one of the purest forms of true democracy in action. Think Visa's in the wrong? Use a different card. You think Amazon's being too greedy? Well, shop elsewhere. As customers of both companies, you have that responsibility. The real crime will be the number of people shouting for a legislative fix to the situation, demanding that a government come in and rewrite a private contract under penalty of law, ignoring the inevitable inefficiencies, corruption, and ultimate failure of every single example of central state planning ever attempted in the history of economics. And finally, from the Serving the Corporations and Not the People Department. For as long as digital music has existed, the copyright monopolists have sought for ways to prevent it from being copied. The standard method is to sue their own customers in a court of law, hoping to get a large enough judgment to dissuade most other would-be pirates. But the legal system is too slow. And too many people are allowed to continue experiencing humanity's shared culture without paying these monopolists for the privilege. An extrajudicial solution was needed. So, in March of 2021, the copyright monopolists formed a cartel with most of the big ISPs in Europe called the Clearing Body for Copyright on the Internet, in which the ISPs have agreed to block Europeans from accessing any internet site that the monopolists claim can be used for infringing. Oh, the best part, no pesky due process or presumption of innocence or evidence to get in the way and slow things down. The wrong site gets on the DNS sensor list incorrectly. Tough cookies. You're blocked. This form of DNS blocking has several major flaws, but one of the biggest is that a person who wants to access one of these blocked sites can merely modify their DNS settings to query a third-party name server rather than the censorious ones from their ISP. Many such third-party DNS providers exist, Cloudflare, Google, OpenDNS, and a small Swiss user-supported not-for-profit foundation based in Zurich called Quad9. Seeking to close the loophole, Sony Music Germany sued Quad9 in the District Court of Hamburg and received an injunction in June which would require the Quad9 resolver to block those sites on the clearing body's block list. Quad9 promptly appealed, and as promptly as the court system can anyway, on November 30th, the court ruled against them on appeal as well. Quad9 has not infringed any copyright, nor has Sony even claimed that they do. They do not store or even link to any infringing data. They do not participate, even indirectly, in any kind of copyright infringement. 
Quad9 doesn't have any relationship at all with any of the sites that Sony alleges are infringing their copyright. And yet, in Germany, Quad9 is now forced at the threat of gunpoint. By the way, all state actions are ultimately enforced at gunpoint. Don't believe me? Try resisting. Hold out as long as you can. I'll wait. Forced at gunpoint to participate in this crusade of censorship. We're quickly approaching a world where your electric company, your water utility, even your grocery store can be coerced into denying you the basic necessities of life while doing the bidding of a copyright regime or a cause of the week. And, uh, you know, wait, scratch that. We're already there. Quad nine does do one thing that could arguably, and Sony did argue in court, make them responsible for this kind of censorship. And that is that the DNS provider already has a censorship list and the infrastructure to block it. Quad nine has a feature called threat blocking in which they partner up with threat intelligence partners to generate a list of hosts which contain exploits, malware, ransomware, spyware, or other potentially harmful sites. The former categories are pretty self-explanatory, but in 2021, potentially harmful can mean just about anything from a web page that uses the wrong pronoun to a social media site that allows Republicans to create accounts. So I guess that's why I don't use Quad9. The original promise of the internet when I was younger was the ultimate democracy, or the Wild West as some people called it. Anyone could create a website or a page or, or a podcast. Anyone could own a domain and anyone could say anything they want. You weren't required that anyone would have to listen to you, but you could say it. In those days, we had a quote. The internet perceives censorship as damage and routes around. This kind of attack on DNS, the very thread holding the internet together, is exactly that kind of censorship. The copyright monopolists have chosen DNS as their attack point because it is one of the few centralized systems in an otherwise widely decentralized network. But even if they take out DNS entirely, as it looks like they're kind of doing in Europe, it won't eliminate piracy. It won't stop people from experiencing our shared human culture, even without paying their VIG. It will just drive freedom underground. Between copyright monopolists and the German courts that do their bidding, they're going to fracture the internet into the sterile public corporate internet and the lawless dark web with blackjack and hookers. It'll be dangerous there where laws don't reach and human decency is tested. But it'll be a lot more fun. See you there. I want to give out a huge thank you to Larry Blydner, Brian Janak, Sean McCune, Donald DeHart, Brendan Kidwell, and Brian Mosier for producing this episode of Angry Tech News. Angry Tech News is released on the value for value model. We don't take advertising and we don't charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donation. If you got value out of listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click the donate button to make a one-time PayPal donation for whatever you think this show has been worth to you, be it $5, $50, or 500 Even better, consider subscribing for a monthly donation to keep the lights on. For those wondering, I have made my first big purchase with the funds donated to this show. I've invested in hardware to run a Bitcoin Lightning node and will soon be participating in the Podcasting 2.0 value system. If you go to the sidebar at angrytechnews.com, you will see a Bitcoin address, which, assuming I've set this up correctly, you can donate to as well. Any coin sent to that address will be used for opening up lightning channels so that I can finally participate in this great podcasting community that seems to be springing up around me. 
That's it for me. My name is Ryan Bemrose, the Angry Programmer. Tune in next week for more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News with the Angry Programmer, Ryan Bemrose at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry. Stay